Hi, this is Steve Bassett, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for joining us for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 532 of the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, we have a good guest coming your way. Stephen Bassett is going to be joining us. Now, Stephen is executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, and he is a political activist who we have seen on Ancient Aliens and all kinds of documentaries about UFOs and things. And Stephen's going to be joining us for a great talk about uh, a new film that's coming out that he's involved with. He's in, in the film itself, and it's a documentary called Volcanic UFO Mysteries. And it's available now on Amazon Prime and other locations. And uh, it's, it's going to be really interesting. So hope you'll join us for that one. It's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. But i got to get let you know about a lot of things that have been going on. Uh, those of you that have been with On Screen and Beyond for you know the last, what, 13 years, I think it is, 14 years, whatever, um, you might notice that things look different and some things don't work and things like that on our website and everything. Well, what we've done is we've changed our podcast provider and uh, that what that entails is nothing much for you but a whole lot of mess for me <laughs> and uh, uh, we are now available actually on of course apple podcasts as we always have been spotify and a uh, whole lots of other ones and uh, so if you're getting them out there um if you're new i welcome you and if you're been with us for a long time thank you for continuing to join us but uh, like I said, for those of you that have been uh, with us, you'll notice that all 500 and some odd podcasts are taken off, okay? That's because we've had to switch over, and it's become more than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so um, they will be coming back. Uh, it's just that we haven't uh, – we got to – re-edit a little bit on them and put them back up and it's coming up little by little you'll notice every couple of days you'll see two three four more come up so if you're new you can go back and listen to those because there's a lot of ones that'll be coming your way a lot of great people too and uh those of you that uh, just want to hear them again uh, of course uh, with the passing of some people like Don Wells, who we had twice here. And I also have a very special uh, thing that I'm going to be posting that I did with Don. I was, uh, she, her and I were, I was the MC for this uh, event and uh, we have uh, Don and I sitting there and it's, a, it was a, a great interview and it was in front of a live audience and everything. So that, uh, that, that's going to be coming up too. So that'll be something special. Uh, Don was a great person. And of course she passed away just recently. So, uh, anyways, uh, getting back to uh, the move on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, we have two on screen and beyonds. Okay, so if you if you notice that, uh, you will have to keep. Uh, we got to keep both of them up for the time being, but uh, you should unsubscribe from the current one 
and subscribe to the other one. Now, the way you can tell is the new one has like, oh, somewhere around 30 episodes that are up there. The newer one only has uh, one or two or three, you know, just a few of them. So that's in, and I think uh, the name as the owner of the the old one was on screen and beyond, the new one just says Brian Zimrak. So, uh, you know, that's a way to tell. So, unsubscribe from that one subscribe to the new one if you're new you can subscribe on any podcast that place that you're getting this so uh, that'll help you out and then you'll automatically get the episodes as they come out and let's see what else we got to tell you here you can subscribe for other podcasts like i said and uh, tell your friends that's the biggest thing tell your friends there are a lot of great people that we have had from uh, the music or TV or movies. And uh, like I said, those will be coming up slowly as we go along here. So uh, keep a lookout for that. And uh, also, uh, like you said, leave a review if you can. Uh, tell a friend. Just just try to get the word out. And Facebook. Well, that's another thing. <laughs> Something has been messed up on there. And uh, I can't log in. So uh, you can still go to uh, and like the uh, on screen and beyond but you cannot i cannot get in to update it so as i'm working on that that's another thing that we'll get to and that we'll come back and then i'll make uh, announcements when we are you know having a new episode out and who it is and everything like that so a lot of things coming your way and uh, hopefully we'll iron out all the kinks as we go along please be patient with us Uh, it's uh, like i say it's turned into more than what i thought it was going to be but anyways As I said, Stephen Bassett is going to be joining us. He's appeared on episodes of Ancient Aliens. He's the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, and he appears in the documentary Volcanic UFO Mysteries. And I've had a chance to see this. This is really interesting. You've got to see this to believe it. Uh, So you can check that out on Amazon and other things. So uh, Stephen Bassett's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. But right now, let's get into Remake Madness. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness. Well, it looks like Zac Efron is ready to star in the remake of Stephen King's Firestarter. In 1995's Mortal Kombat is getting a reboot, and the director says it will definitely not be a PG-13. It's going to be a lot of blood and gore, they say. And the big screen remake of The Six Million Dollar Man, which has been you know talked about for a long time, is uh, now going to be called the six billion dollar man and mark Wahlberg, of course is still you know attached to it and uh he is uh says it's still in pre-production uh but things are slowly moving along so hopefully that'll come our way soon and that's it for remake madness coming up next on on screen and beyond upcoming new movies this episode is brought to you by fx's the veil starring elizabeth moss FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Upcoming new movies, well, Brandon Fraser will star in The Whale. It's about an isolated 600-pound man trying to reconnect with his daughter. Nicole Kidman is in talks to play Lucille Ball and uh, Javier Bourdain. It says uh, he's in talks for the role of Desi Arnaz, and it's going to be, the film will be called Being the Ricardos. 
And rapper Cardi B will star in a comedy called Assisted Living as a small-time crook gets in over her head when a heist goes wrong and she hides out disguised in, as an elderly woman in a nursing home. And that's it for upcoming new movies next on On Screen and Beyond. Taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. <laughs> Sequel City, well, Tim Allen has given uh, uh, some hope that Galaxy Quest 2 may still come our way. He says that the passing of Alan Rickman, of course, the the script that had been written was all about the two of them, or, or the majority of it was about them. Uh, so now he says, uh, of course, they'll have to rewrite it, uh, maybe keeping the basics of what the, the story was going to be about. And he said it was a great film. And uh, we'll have to see what's going to happen with that uh, and, and uh, see where they go with it. And let's see what else here. Patrick Dempsey is now involved in the sequel to Enchanted. After 10 years, there's still hope that they're going to be making a sequel to that. And Godzilla vs. Kong moves up to March 26 for its release date. And that's two months earlier than they had expected. And that's it for Sequel City. <laughs> TV and entertainment time. Well, the man behind Mr. Robot and Homecoming is behind the remake of Battlestar Galactica. That'll be coming our way on Peacock. Currently, it is in the pilot stages, uh, so it's it's still in the early early stuff, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. And the Queen's Gambit co-creator is working on a new sci-fi miniseries called The Sparrow, dealing with priests and scientists who make contact with extraterrestrials. And sadly, actor Mark Richman, past guest here at On Screen and Beyond, recently passed away at the age of 93. And that's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, Stephen Bassett will be coming our way. Stephen is the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, trying to get the government to release information about UFOs that they know of. And uh, also, he is in the documentary Volcanic UFO Mysteries. It's a great film. Got it, you know, it's so much, so interesting to see that. And uh, he also is on uh, Ancient Aliens sometimes. So uh, coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond, Stephen Bassett. Today on On Screen and Beyond, our guest has been seen on numerous films and TV shows dealing with the subject of UFOs, including Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. He is a political activist in Washington, D.C. and executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, pushing for the government to disclose of what they know about their dealings with UFOs or UAPs, as the government refers to them now. He is part of a new documentary film called Volcanic UFO Mysteries, which is out now and is available on Amazon Prime and Google Play. It's Stephen Bassett. Stephen, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. My pleasure, Brian. Happy to be with you. Now, Stephen, um, I had the opportunity to see the uh, the uh, documentary, uh, The Volcanic UFO Mysteries, and uh, it was quite an interesting uh, thing to watch. Um, it's. I, I never realized there was so much going on around volcanic eruptions. There is a lot going on, uh, to be sure. 
I am um, a political activist, not a researcher. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not something like I investigate that that particular phenomena. Uh, Darcy Weir has been producing a lot of content related uh, to the extraterrestrial issue, UAP issue, uh, for a couple of years now. And he's got these two out, including this one. Uh, so, And his timing is very good in that regard. The one thing that intrigued me the most about this particular documentary, from my perspective as a political activist and a disclosure advocate, uh, is that there are a huge number of cameras now in the world, we all know. Everybody's got one. So we've got billions of high-quality cameras in the hands of every cell phone user worldwide. And, of course, surveillance cameras are ubiquitous throughout all the major cities, mm-hmm. as well as cameras in space and so forth, and also cameras in all remote areas of the world for one reason or another. One of these is volcanoes. The volcanoes are clearly a potential risk. Um and to people and lives and so forth. And, and uh, so naturally, they're watched closely, particularly ones that are active, like the one near Mexico City. Mm-hmm. It's only 43 miles from Mexico City. And so they have cameras on that all the time. It has actually been active for, I think, since 2008. That's, what, 12 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interestingly enough, these cameras have been picking up objects, uh, moving in and about the uh, volcano that don't appear to be standard craft. Uh, sometimes in, in, at times when there's eruptions uh, going on, so any standard craft would be crazy to be there. And even what appears to be something going into the volcano. So this is, this is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, there have been countless sightings of craft in our skies going back many decades, millions of sightings, photographs, videos has been taken, and we have these things around volcanoes. So that's what intrigued me, and I think he invited me on to talk a little bit about the implications of that and what have you. Um, So that's that's my take to the movie, is that this phenomena, which is absolutely real, I can assure you, and extraterrestrial in origin, has been picked up by cameras for many decades and increasingly more so uh, as we move to the present. Uh, it's one more reason why the government's position that the phenomena is not worthy of investigation or is no risk or what's your, what's your problem is bogus. Uh, we call this the truth embargo, the formal uh, uh, refusal by the government to confirm the ET presence. It's just falling apart, and I think that very soon we're going to finally get that confirmation and learn as a as a global civilization. We're not alone in the universe, and we have visitors now. Hmm. Now, Stephen, I I noticed when you started talking that you you said you were not a researcher; you are an activist. Um, but right. but what got you into this certain subject? It's it's not something that you know most people just jump into. So so what made you want to even get involved with it? Most people don't jump into it. Well, let me put it this way: there are a lot of A lot of citizens who have gotten involved in the issue over the last 70 years, many thousands. Uh, Some, it's just a hobby, in a sense, an area that they're interested in. They have a lot of books, they have a library, but that's as far as it goes. Others join organizations, do research on cases. Some have becoming very knowledgeable and written books. 
Others have made documentaries. Some some are journalists. And of course, eventually we had uh, we had uh, people creating websites, huge numbers of websites. I should point out, um, and then uh, radio broadcasts or netcasts, and then podcasts. So there's a huge number of people involved. Why each one gets in uh, gets involved is it varies from person to person. But in at the, at the center of I think the motivations is the fact that it's a compelling subject. It's just extraordinary subject, very compelling, fascinating. Okay, good. As for me, it wasn't complicated. I I loved science fiction when I was a kid. That's what I read, uh, rather than Shakespeare, which I simply couldn't understand, frankly. Uh, <laughs> Neither can any of us. And then I went into science. Yeah, who, who understands? I went into science and math in school, got a degree in physics. Okay, fine. Uh, and my interest in the subject was not really there. Awareness of the subject never went away. So over the next 20 years or so, I would note any article that would turn up, but I never went to any meetings or joined any organizations. But by, 1940, by 1995, this issue had moved far along, and it, it was starting to get my uh, attention to a larger degree. And one, one of the things that affected me the most at that particular time was I read John Mack's book, Abduction. And I learned that this Harvard-trained psychiatrist had decided to investigate the abduction contactee phenomena, even held a symposium at MIT uh, and was uh, writing a book, or he wrote the book, rather. Uh, this impressed me and made me think that, wow, this issue is now becoming... Uh, uh, not only more serious, but more accepted. I didn't know to what degree, but still, that's what I saw. So I read a few more books, uh, and I went to a conference down in L.A., and I made the decision. I wasn't happy with what I was doing. Uh, it was going to go nowhere. meant nothing to me. And so I decided, I want to get involved in this. Uh, I knew that it wasn't easy to get involved, and that uh, there was almost no money involved, so I decided to volunteer, and I just volunteered for John Mack. I volunteered for his organization in Boston, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and went out there and worked four months, got all excited and got involved, and it was really a good time, but it wasn't a good fit. And it was up in Cambridge in uh, 90, 1996, around May, I think, that I figured out what I wanted to do, and that was to go to Washington where I had family and had lived off and on for many years, knew it pretty well, uh, and set up create an organization, and go after the resolution of the issue, not by researching, researching sightings, but by political means. In other words, engage the truth embargo. So I did, uh, I, and I got lucky, because this is the kind of thing that could have gone absolutely nowhere. Mm -hmm. But I had, a, I had a wonderful little idea and a hook. I went down, set up my office, and registered as a lobbyist under the issue, ET, ET issue. Um, technology, things like that, related to the ET phenomena. Put that into a Senate uh, form, fired it off, knowing full well that the Washington Post checked all lobbying registrations, uh, uh, Washington Times as well, and that that lobbying registration was going to get picked up by the Post, and that they were probably going to be interested in that. And who, who, nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever lobbied, uh, uh, registered on this issue. So I became the first registered lobbyist on the extraterrestrial issue. 
which is not a big deal, but it got attention, and it got me a very substantial article in the Washington Post, and that's how it started. Once I had that, I had the platform to work from there, and now I've been at it for 24 years. Wow. Now, you know, dealing with the government, I I cannot imagine how you... (laughs) How you do that? Because it seems to me, uh, you know, as an average person sitting back, they seem to be doing a shell game. Uh, because you know, at one time it was UFOs. So now, if you put in a uh, Freedom of Information Act for UFOs, well, now they call them UAPs. So they've shifted. So, no, oh, yeah, we don't have anything on UFOs. We have UAPs. So. Uh, do you find that to be a, working with the government like that difficult? Well, first of all, that that that's not they do the shell game. They they play all kinds of games yeah, in order to think so. <laughs> maintain the truth embargo, as I call it. That's not one of them. The switch to UAP is something that I was pushing, and some of my colleagues were pushing for a number of years, but it finally became more formalized. Oh, okay. uh, partially because uh, Hillary Clinton mentioned it in an interview with Jimmy Kimmel. And that's actually a very positive thing. UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or Unexplained Aerial Phenomena, means exactly the same as UFO, Unidentified Flying Mm -hmm. Object. Exactly the same. So why did we need to switch? It's about language. Activism, successful activism, is is always about language to some degree. So, so the acronym UFO, which was uh, begun during the early days of Project Blue Book, uh, Rupelt, who was the uh, commander Rupelt, who was the uh, director of Blue Book, uh, used that acronym instead of Flying Saucer, which was more descriptive. And it was uh, deliberate, and it was very successful. Unidentified Flying Object is essentially a meaningless, useless acronym. Uh, if something's in the sky and you don't know what it is, it's an unidentified flying object. Right. There's all kinds of possibilities there. Mm-hmm. It could be a basketball somebody threw over your house. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if, if the field, if the people getting involved in this were getting involved in looking for unidentified flying objects, then essentially that's not very consequential. It's, it's, it's not specific. It's not clear. And uh, uh, therefore, it, it helps the government to stay away from the issue. Then the truth embargo went out of its way to use that acronym UFO as the ridicule target. In other words, we're going to heap, we want to heap ridicule on this issue, but we need a target. We just don't want to shotgun it. So they, it, it was all about UFO. UFO is silly. UFO people are believers. UFO this, UFO that. And so over the decades, it, it just was pounded with uh, ridicule and disdain and bastardized. It was made uh, a servant to the truth embargo. So one of the things we needed to do was to get rid of it. Not easy, because it's been around for 60 years, but get rid of it and, and, and replace it with UAP, which means the same thing, but it doesn't carry all the ridicule. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So it's like a new start, fresh start, you might say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was an activist maneuver that the government has now accepted, and that's because there are huge developments going on about this, leading to what I think will be disclosure very soon. But yeah, uh, dealing with the government was extremely hard, uh, and and uh, that's why early on, I shifted my focus to the media. In other words, trying to persuade 
people in Congress or their staff uh, about this issue was clearly hopeless. Uh, I didn't have the money. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you could walk up the hill and say, look, uh, I got some packs here and we could donate some money to your campaign. They go, well, I have a seat, but I had none of that. Right. I worked on the media. I wanted to educate the media to the politics of this issue. And the media is much more accessible. That's why I've, I've, I've done, oh, 11, 12, 1,300 interviews uh, over the years uh, and many conferences, press conferences, and I have a huge media archive on my website with over 11,000 articles linked that dealt with this issue in the press. So that's, that was my principal approach. And then on, occasionally I would try to engage the government uh, in various ways or candidates, political figures, that type of thing. It's been a very slow and difficult process. It has taken far longer than I thought it would. Uh, 24 years. I never expected it would take this long. But uh, when you get into activism at the highest level, you, if, you think it's, if you assume it's going to be a short road, you are making a big mistake. Uh, if you get in, you have to stay in till the end, or you're going to have wasted all your time. So I'm, I'm in till the, till the last dog dies. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the recent uh, CIA release of files from uh, what the, the quote black vault? Um, what, what was it, a week ago or two weeks ago or something like that? Um, and one thing I found when I was reading about that was that uh, it only goes back to 1980s, and they had 2,700 pages. Now, I really find that difficult to believe that they only have 2,700 pages because. I'm sure you know <laughs> the government doesn't do anything <laughs> under you know a thousand pages for any one document. Document it seems like you know. They, I mean they're, they're not the most efficient <laughs> run you know. So it just seems odd that that's all they had for it. Did, did that strike you as funny too? No, it's not odd. Look, um, um, uh, it's a reasonable uh, uh, thought to have on that. Absolutely, the CIA has actually released documents on a number of occasions over the last many years. Um, one of the more significant ones was um, the day before the inauguration, 2017, January 19, 2017. The, they released 930, well, they, they made available to the Internet 930,000 documents that they had originally uh, declassified, but you could only access through their through the uh, uh, archives, right? The National Archives, which mm -hmm. is very not easy to do. Uh, you got to drive down there. You got to get a pass. You got to go in. You got to find stuff. But they put it out on the internet. This was a significant move. I, I kind of know why they did it. And there's been some releases prior to that. Many of these documents went back before 1980. Uh, this release, recent release, which is actually not a release. What happened? It's complicated. But John Greenwald. Uh, has devoted his life since he was 15 years old. He's now 35, I think, uh, amazingly enough, uh, to becoming an, a, an archive, uh, a public archive, for documents related to the ET issue, UAP issue, and, and related subjects. And he's filed thousands and thousands of freedom of information requests to get this information. He's become a, a professional, probably one of the, the best, uh, most qualified professionals on FOIA submissions there is on the planet, and gathered all these and put them into electronic form uh, on his website called The Black Vault. 
Well, he had acquired a lot of documents, and then the CIA released a DVD of these documents, meaning they were they, they released a digitized version. So this is another case of not so much that they suddenly declassified them, but rather they made them more accessible. He then took the DVD and put them into searchable format in his vault and then announced that. And, and, and I think 20-some terabytes were downloaded very quickly. Hmm. Without, I don't think it was a formal cooperation, but let's just say that the, the CIA is fully aware of John Greenwald's uh, Black Vault. And so they sort of helped him get that out and that is a maneuver on the part of the CIA it's not the only maneuver that's happening inside government right now because I believe we're in the last weeks and months of the truth embargo and that we could quite possibly have the confirmation of the ET presence from our president uh, this spring Wow. Huh. Now, that would be a big deal yeah. for everybody particularly <laughs> movie makers Oh geez, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> we'd be getting, we'd be back to the fifties with all the uh, the sci-fi films coming out again. <laughs> well, uh, look, I uh, you're 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 a film guy, and this is a film site. Uh, a few years ago, well, it's been a while. Back in two thousand, I don't know, thirteen, twelve. So it's now eight years. I haven't updated it, but I, I did a survey of all the highest-grossing films. Uh, in history mm-hmm. and uh, put the, categorize them by genre uh, and what I discovered was that the highest grossing genre in all of film history is extraterrestrials yeah I, I, uh, I, I fascinating huh yeah absolutely uh, for, un- until Avengers Le- uh, Endgame the highest grossing movie of all time was of course Avatar point. Uh, 20 billion, something like that, 2.6 billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Endgame just passed it. There are four Avatar sequels in the world uh, that are going to be coming out. Yes. I think they're already done. Yeah. And every one of them will do a billion oh, or geez. more. Yeah, easily. <laughs> so, and, and actually, and you know, and, and the fact is, if I were to update this uh, research now, uh, a lot of these Marvel flicks are basically many of them are about extraterrestrials. Not all of them. But there are extraterrestrials in these movies, and if it's got an extraterrestrial, it goes in that genre. So uh, the American people are love this subject. They pay fortunes to go see the movies, uh, and, and they've been watching them for decades. So that, that gives you an idea of how important the film, uh, the, the uh, theatrical film industry has been on this subject. They have educated billions of people. And then, of course, there's been hundreds and hundreds of documentaries. Uh, and in spite of all this, the government has yet to confirm that, yeah, the phenomenon is actually real and it's extraterrestrial. But that, again, may end very soon. Yeah. Now, is it my imagination, or have we been getting slowly more information coming out? Like, you saw the Tic Tac thing has been released. Yeah. And then, of course, like I said, mm-hmm. the CIA thing that just came out the, the week before. And then lately you've been seeing, you know, like there was a a blue thing that that it was in Hawaii that came down and and people were filming that and and, and you know we seem to be getting more and more uh, either sightings or or official government information is is this just you know coincidence or is this something that you think uh, you know with all the work that you're doing that it's, that things are coming out? It is not your imagination. Uh, I, I don't know how much time we have, but let me. Let me just summarize it as quickly as I can. 
everything I'll, I'm going to say now is on my website, paradigmresearchgroup.org. Uh, in, in there's huge amounts of material there, huge amounts of media articles about what I'm talking about here. So uh, people can fill in the blanks. Your your listeners can fill in the blanks by going to my website, paradigmresearchgroup.org. Um, essentially, what happened is that uh, back in uh, or circa 19, uh, sorry, 2015. Uh, a significant group of people within the military intelligence complex, I think mostly centered at the Pentagon, made the, uh, uh, came, to, came together in common purpose that the truth embargo needed to end, that it was, it was a liability uh, to the country and to the military intelligence complex, a problem, an embarrassment, whatever, and that it needed to end. What could they do? Could, there, could they help that? Could, could, they, could they join, I guess you could say, uh, the citizen science research activist movement that's been going on for 70 years? And uh, they came up with an idea. They could not directly get involved, I assure you. Uh, you. You work for the Department of Defense, the CIA. You do not go out and freelance on the extraterrestrial issue, mm-hmm. give, give lectures or approach the press or anything. like. You cannot do that. Um, but what they came up with, a brilliant idea, was to uh, support the creation of a public, non-governmental organization that is civilian, it's not part of the military, the DOD, uh, that, is, that is composed of careerists who had been working with the government in high-level positions in, in agencies like the CIA, like the Department of Defense, uh, people with research backgrounds, high security clearances, all that. In other words, insiders. Mm-hmm. But uh, the organization would be announced, and these insiders would no longer be under direct payroll of the government. So it's a, they, they're free to operate within certain constrictions. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't violate national security agreements or non-disclosure agreements with the government, what have you. And ultimately, they launched this organization on October the 11th of 2017 and put the website up, and it was uh, announced as To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences. It was certainly designed to engage the public, and as a CEO, uh, there was a, uh, the CEO was a gentleman by the name of Tom DeLong, who was a well-known rock musician, very successful, made a lot of money, sold a lot of records, who was extremely interested in the issue but had no connections to the military intelligence complex. Uh, never worked for the government, no security clearances, but had a big Twitter following. So he was the, the, the CEO to sort of bring this, this uh, NGO into uh, the public domain. And they also uh, simultaneously launched a public benefit uh, corporation uh, to raise money uh, from the public to pursue a range of issues in their mission statement which included entertainment as well as some research in the, quote, I guess you could say, ETUAP uh, genre. This was a big deal, a huge deal, at least if you knew. I mean, if you knew what it meant. I, I, not Most people didn't. I did. I knew that it, that, that, that it meant that the, there was a, uh, a courtier of people inside the DOD that was, gonna, was backing disclosure, and they had enough power, even though they're anonymous, we don't know who they are, they had enough power to, to, to cover for this, this entity. In other words, 
other uh, those opposing this within the military intelligence complex apparently couldn't shut it down. Okay, so that was a big deal. But then it got much bigger quickly. They then went to the New York Times, and in 60 days since they, from the time that they launched, uh, uh, a lot of information was vetted by the New York Times, provided by the Two of the Stars Academy, resulting in two historical history-making articles on the front page of the New York Times, December 16, 2017. Uh, Leslie Kane, noted uh, journalist who has written about this subject matter for many years, uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Ralph Lumenthal and Arling, Darling Cooper uh, were the authors of both articles. These articles announced that there had been a research program in the Pentagon called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, ATIP, that the program had been funded and, and requested by a, the Senate Majority Leader, Democratic Senator Harry Reid, that research had been going on, including research with by, by Bob, Bob Bigelow, the billionaire Las Vegas space entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a big story. But they had obtained gun camera footage from the Pentagon of three significant intercepts by F-18 fighters. One was the Roosevelt case in four, 2014, and one was the Nimitz case in a carrier Nimitz, uh, Nimitz, Nimitz carrier group case 2004. No country had ever released gun camera footage from intercepts of UAPs ever prior to that. There had been a leak that got into the hands of a documentary crew, but that wasn't a formal release, and it was not particularly well known. This was essentially a a formal release, declassified and out the door, um, and this was huge. This was an absolute milestone of unprecedented uh, proportions, in my view, uh, and uh, the tic-tac, the fast, uh, go fast, and uh, the other name escapes me, but uh, the tic-tac referred to the Nimitz case, which is when a fleet of 80 uh, objects were tracked for days by the Nimitz carrier group and had extraordinary capabilities. Th- the, these films were provided to the New York Times, which put them up on their website, and subsequently they've been seen by hundreds of millions of people worldwide. So this, the, 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 these articles marked a, a permanent turning point in the disclosure movement, the disclosure advocacy movement. Uh, there was going to be no turning back, mm-hmm. and it was just a matter of time before the truth embargo would end. Yeah. Now, their initial plan, I believe, was to launch not in late 2017, but in very early 2017, or maybe even uh, late in 2016. But that was predicated on Hillary Clinton winning the presidency. When she didn't win the presidency, it threw the, the project somewhat up in the air, and they had to reform. Also, they were outed. Uh, so, some of their engagement of the Democratic campaign was outed by WikiLeaks, uh, which created big problems for them as well just before the election. So, but they go ahead and they launch. And then for the last three years, uh, the, what has happened is that all across the government, people have come to understand that what has taken place is an irreversible, irreversible uh, development that 
guarantees that disclosure is coming soon. And so, and this is not necessarily going to happen, but it did, is that the government, elements of the government military intelligence complex started to take action. And it is that action and responses that you have been picking up on that are turning up in the news all the time. It's not just the military. Civilian entities are responding. Uh, the way I like to use it, it's a simple-minded metaphor, but I think once those articles were published in the New York Times, a whole lot of people through government who, who have known for years that there's an extraterrestrial presence but simply could not talk about it and could not engage it, uh, knew that the disclosure train was uh, warming up, right, building up some steam, warming up, stocking the, uh, the dining car, and would shortly be leaving the station. And if they didn't get on that train, they were going to be left on a platform, and it was not going to be a good thing for them. And so we had a series of responses that took place, all right? Yeah. Now, one of the first responses was the CIA. The CIA knew about this group being formed. They knew about it in 2016. Uh, when uh, Clinton lost the election, uh, they probably also knew at the CIA that this group was probably going to be on hold. But they still knew that it was probably going to happen. It was in play. And so I think the CIA's release of those, or rather the uh, release of the Internet, of those 930,000 documents on January 19, 2017, was a pre-response to what was coming. And good on the CIA. Okay. Then they launch on this, uh, October 11, 2017. Uh, in due course, the Navy announced that it was reorganizing uh, its response to this phenomena uh, and how they dealt with, quote, UFOs, so now UAPs. Then the Navy uh, announced that the uh, gun camera footage that was presented, because there was a lot of controversy on the net about this, there was a lot of criticism, the usual everything is fake stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and they, they said, no, 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 these films are from the F-18s. And then time goes by, and the Navy announced that, yeah, and what was in those films was unidentified aerial phenomena. So that was the Navy's way of starting to respond to the developments, what was going on, and this extraordinary transition to disclosure was taking place. The Army then jumped in by agreeing and announcing it was getting into a, a uh, what is called a crata, a... Uh, uh, cooperative Research and Development Agreement with the Two of the Stars Academy. Not a big deal. Uh, there are a lot of the, a lot of these crowds, but it, they announced it, made it public, and this is the Army's way of giving credibility to the TTSA and saying that they're on board. Hmm. All right? Yeah. And then uh, uh, you started to see some politicians reacting to developments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, coming forward, making statements, and. Uh, uh, the Navy's done a couple other things recently, and then, of course, you've got the release of these documents, and on and on and on. And then you've got the one I love in terms of getting on board the disclosure train is that Dr. Avi Loeb, the, uh, the chairman of the astronomy department at Harvard, of all places. Hmm. Back in 1900s, I mean, I mean 1990s, 
the John Mack is the reason, one of the reasons I got into this field. John Mack started doing his work in the Harvard. He was very close to the college, Harvard University, uh, connections and everything else. He worked at Cambridge, which is connected to the university. And they, uh, they didn't like it. And so they, they, they created a review board, causing him a lot of stress and expense with the idea that they were going to sort of shut him down. But it didn't happen. And they had to back off. Hmm. And uh, he then continued with his work. Uh, that was back then. Now, 30 years later, the chairman of the Harvard Astronomy Department jumps onto this Umarahu, Umaruhu. Yep, the Umamuro. The, the, the cigar shaped thing there. <laughs> that <laughs> the cigar shaped thing that came in from out, out of the solar system. Yes. Cruised in at 45,000 miles, went, went by the sun, cruised on out. So he was, he was, all the astronomers were seizing on this. It was fascinating. All the ET, UAP people, of course, jumped on it. Uh, could it be a spacecraft, et cetera, et cetera? I think, I feel highly confident it was just a cigar shaped rock coming in. Uh, from outer space, from outside the solar system, cruised on through and went by. Nothing more. However, Loeb, Loeb discovered that there seemed to be an anomaly with the trajectory and an anomaly with the reflective uh, aspects of it and so forth, which is fine. Uh, I mean, there probably is. And so he's, he's doing the astronomy thing and doing the math and checking it out, and he decides that the way he would deal with that was rather than put out a, a well, I mean, yeah, maybe he did put out a paper, but rather to come up with various possibilities, he decided that he was simply going to go public and say he thinks it's an alien space probe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An alien space probe. He then goes on and gives media interviews. He's now written a book about it. And Harvard hadn't said a thing, hmm. as far as I know. He's still the chairman of the astronomy department. That's, that's where we've gone in 30 years. Now, why did Avi Loeb think that that was a good idea? That, like, you know, this, this, I know there's going to be a lot of astronomers and a lot of Harvard uh, professors that are going to think I'm nuts, but I think, I, I, I think this is a possibility, so I'm just going to go to the press and say this is what I think. He did it because Avi Loeb, being a brilliant astronomer, like just about every other high-level astronomers and scientists in our academics, know damn well there's an extraterrestrial presence. They've known it for years. Hmm. But they can't talk about it. They right. can't go there because there's a truth embargo, and it would be uncomfortable for them. So they just keep their mouth shut. However, and you're going to see more of this, uh, he figured out, based upon what was happening that we just discussed, that the train was going to be leaving the station soon, headed for disclosure, and he wanted to be on that train. He wanted to be ahead of the curve, on the right side of history and all that. And so he got on the train, and that's cool. And I I find that amusing uh, to a degree, but I'm happy for it. Uh, This has been a long, hard slog. Uh, There's never been a bigger deception in all of human history. There are huge consequences from this deception. And... Whoever wants to get on this train before it leaves the station, they're welcome. Come on board. Yeah. <laughs> right? It'll just make it uh, a lot more important and powerful when we do finally right. head on out. Yeah. Huh. We'll be back with more of our guests right after this short break. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, one thing about the the Navy and the Air Force both speaking up about this, uh, wouldn't I mean, I mean, I I don't uh, claim to know anything about government as far as how things are handled, but wouldn't something like that not just come from you know the Navy or the Air Force individually? Wouldn't they have had to have gotten permission from? somebody higher up to to be able to release that you know to to, to release those those videos uh that is a very good point uh, we do not know the internal aspects of this because they're not telling us mm-hmm. we do not know the internal origin story for the to the stars academy because in order to know that names would have to be named right and that's not going to happen yeah, um, I we can assume we can assume that the, when the Navy set up the uh, UAP task force at the Office of Naval Intelligence, that that was probably not done without the approval of Secretary of Navy. But maybe not. It just depends what their protocols are. Yeah. But it was certainly approved by a high-up official without question. And that was another response, by the way, by the Navy. The Navy has been the most cooperative, the most ostentatious, uh, in its responses to this, so the Navy is way on board the train, up in the front car, in the in the first class section, uh, and they're going to be richly rewarded when this thing finally breaks. Um, uh, so, yeah, you're right, but uh, they don't have to tell us that. Yeah. But yeah. you can assume that there is high-level support for anything like that regarding any, any of the military services, and by the way, the Air Force is the one service that's been silent. They have not said or done anything uh, in response to these developments. And we don't know why, and that's an interesting uh, thing. Maybe one day we'll find out. Um, but uh, uh, this is uh, uh, something we will eventually learn about uh, and get more of the background. But for now, what is going on is people are maneuvering. There is a complex chess game going on underway. The, the, the end of this chess game will be the announcement by the president, and the various entities want to participate, but they can't just jump in. They have to, they have to do it in a way that is not a clear problem. Uh, they certainly have the usual restrictions of security and classification and non-disclosures. Uh, so they're all carefully maneuvering without crossing the line. It's fascinating to watch. Maybe I'll get enough info together, I'll write a book about it, but I don't know. I'm not a good book writer because my attention span is roughly 14 seconds. <laughs> but uh, uh, that's what's going on. And, and, and if you go to my website, ParadigmResearchGroup.org, and you go to the resources section and cruise on down to the print media archive, I have 700 articles linked there related to the TTSA developments and the subsequent uh, reactions by the Navy and so forth. I've got 400 articles in there related to what happened in the campaign of 2016 and the Clintons and that Clinton-ET connection. 
and well, huge number of articles in general about uh, this phenomenon in mainstream media. Uh, so, if you want to get you know more details about what I'm just describing, uh, you can read the articles, and you can you can and they're and it's all chronological and searchable by year, wow. right? You can word search each year. So uh, I invite people that really want to plunge into this. Uh, that resource, I think, you'll find quite valuable. Yeah. Now, do you, on your website, do you have any of the uh, links to the uh, the well, the ninety three thousand documents the CIA released in the tw- the, the <laughs> most recent twenty three twenty two thousand seven hundred yeah. doc pages? No. Uh, the Black Vault. You go to the Black Vault for that. that I've, that's John Greenwell's work. I have no intention of reinventing that wheel that's 20 years of work on the part of john so yeah you want documents you go to that black vault you can download documents for the next six months right. uh, we've always had documents uh that supported the truth of the et presence uh but the truth embargo has successfully kept the media from really plunging into them uh the media has a lot to answer for in terms of its cooperation whether implicit are explicit to the truth embargo, but on the other hand, the media has covered the issue and written thousands and thousands of articles about it, thus keeping it alive uh, and providing information that's valuable, but they just weren't going to become an investigation uh, operation on it. They weren't going to, as I said, go Woodward and Bernstein, because they knew the government did not want them to do that. And they didn't want to upset the government on this particular issue because it is a huge national security issue, uh, which is held in extreme secrecy, and uh, there's a lot of stories out there, and they need the government's cooperation. So why throw all that away by, by deciding to make this the, uh, the hill you're going to die on? Mm, yeah, yeah. Wow, this, this is fascinating, Stephen. i got to tell you, I mean, this, this is really... I, 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 first off, i I, I got to tip my hat to you, because what you're doing up there, I, I don't even know how you can wade through all the red tape that you must have to go through to, to try to convince them to release this stuff, but uh, you know, you, you deserve. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't look. I don't wade through red tape. I'm a political activist, independent. I do whatever I want, and going through government red tape, playing their rules, I don't do that. Ah, by okay. and large, uh, <laughs> others have done that. John Greenwald has done that. Stan Friedman and many others have pounded away to get the odd document here. Grant Cameron is the one that got the the documents confirming the the. Clinton ET connection and the, Ros- uh, the Rockefeller Initiative, hmm. which we had as early as 2000, and it handed out to the media, put up on the internet. And the media basically said, "We're not going to investigate that." But it's been out there all this time. Wow. Uh, I, I guess I'm not. It's not so much like waiting; it's more like waiting. Yeah. <laughs> not W A D W A I T. In other words, in other words, you. In, 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 sometimes with political activism, you simply wait out the authorities. You 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 know you you stay at the door. In other words, the, the, the authorities are got all their stuff, all their secret stuff behind the behind the the, uh, the castle wall gate, and they don't want to let you in because they don't want to be bothered by the people mm-hmm. who pay their salaries. Uh, so you just stay at the gate there. You just don't go away. You're always there. Every once in a while, you throw something over the wall. Let them know you're still around. You just wait it and wait it and keep keep knocking on that door. Uh, and recruit 
other people to, to help you and what have you. So that ultimately, it's like a siege. You, you've surrounded the government with information, evidence, truth, people's interest, media, what have you. You can't get in to the government. You can't get in and just yank the truth out of them. But you, you've got a siege, and they know they're surrounded, and ultimately you just wear them down where they realize, you know, this is simply ridiculous. Uh, we don't want to spend the time and money to c c keep this truth embargo going. In fact, they're spending a vast fortune on classifying and making secret. 90% of the stuff that they've made secret doesn't need to be secret. It's a real problem. It needs full reform. And so that is, that's, that's what activism often is. Some people can't do that. They got to go blow something up if they, or set themselves on fire. In other words, if I can't get an action right now, I'm going to go blow something up. Well, that's unfortunately bad activism. Right. And it rarely works. On occasion, it has had a success, but it's not, it's not, not what you want to do. And so that's kind of been what I've done. Uh, I simply never left the front door. Uh, I have other colleagues that have done the same thing. I mean, we, they've been at this for years. Uh, so I can only tell you how, particularly after this year, which has not been one of my more favorite years, yeah. uh, that, that we could be months away, even weeks, but certainly months away from disclosure is just tremendously uh, uplifting, if true. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I like to think I feel like the civil rights activists in 1963 and maybe early 64 when they started to realize that because of the actions of Kennedy and then of course his death and, and Johnson taking over that the door was opening possibly for the, the White House to take action and push for a civil rights act and so literally they were, they were months away from the, the main goal of the civil rights movement that went back a hundred years, uh, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure the level of excitement was fantastic and electric, though there was no guarantee it might not be delayed more. I sort of, I, I think I kind of feel like those activists felt back then in the early 1960s. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, Stephen, I'd, I'd like to finish up with uh, two final questions. And this is taking us, and this is taking us away from everything we've been talking about tonight. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> more of a, a, a look at uh, you and inside your mind um, as far as when you relax. When you relax and if you watch TV and watch movies, what are your favorite movies and TV shows now and of the past? And TV shows and in movies. Now sure. out of the past. Oh, absolutely. Legitimate. Look, I, uh, when I was six years old, Dad came home with a black and white television, put it at the end of the living room, sat me in front of it, turned it on, and in that instant, though I didn't know it, my chances for a PhD or becoming a novelist or a Renaissance man or any of that was gone up in smoke <laughs> right then, at that moment, okay? Because I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And uh, so I've been a TV kid and a movie guy uh, my whole life. So I have a vast amount of knowledge drawn from movies and television, which uh, occasionally serves me well. So uh, your question is particularly germane because 
science fiction has played an enormous role in preparing the human race for this particular paradigm shift, without question. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we've seen it all. And as you get close to the modern era, the CGI has become such that it takes you out into the galaxy. It makes you think you're in spacecraft flying between stars. It puts you in other civilizations on other planets, and you think you're there. This is, it's just it's impossible to describe how, that compared to, say, what I was reading as a teenager in the 1950s, uh, late 50s, Heinlein and Asimov, things like that. I mean, that was a big deal. I read lots of science fiction. Yep. Okay. So naturally... I love science fiction movies. Uh, uh, I've gotten pretty picky, but there was a time I'd watch anything. I mean, if you put a, 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 a plastic disc attached to a fishing pole and hold it out there and film it, I'd, I'd watch that, right? So uh, uh, some of the... Uh, so, so for me, uh, the most entertaining and relevant uh, entertainment is, of course, science fiction. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, uh, I believe the, the movie that has had the most effect on me in my life is 2001 Space Odyssey. Some feel it's the greatest movie ever made, but it's certainly in the top ten. I don't think that's, that's debatable. Uh, I saw it when it came out in 1968. I was in, in college in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I like to tell this story. It's a cool story. Uh, my, things were not going well. College was basically hell on, on Earth. I think I would have had more fun at a, uh, uh, a concentration camp in the Soviet Union. Uh, so I was struggling, but this movie came to town, and it was in Tampa playing at the Cinema Theater. Now, this, back then, they had these Cinerama theaters. Right. And uh, they, 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 were even, they were bigger than IMAX, but they weren't high like IMAX, but they're big screen, but they wrapped around. They were just huge. They just wrapped around both sides. And so it was like looking at the sort of curved screen and huge screen. They don't, they were, I don't think they even exist now uh, for any number of reasons. But anyway, so I, that, that's where it was. And so I, 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 I decided to go to this, and I actually uh, I got a, I asked a girl to go with me. I had a date. It was the first time we'd had a date. And uh, I forget how I met her. It doesn't matter. So we go to the movie. And she's a music major. And this is and a Christian. She's a Christian and a music major because I was going to a, a, a Christian college, though not everybody was Christian there. So we go to Tampa, and it's a matinee. It might even have been a weekday matinee, but the movie didn't really get huge reviews initially, and so there weren't, part, there weren't many people there. And so we run up on the balcony, because I like that view, and so we're up in the balcony, dead center, first row on the railing. Nobody else around. Okay. And so on comes the 2001 Space Odyssey. And you know how it opens, right? It, uh, it opens very quickly with the early humans, pre-humans, uh, around the cave. Yeah. And not the monolith, not, not immediately. No, no, okay. Starts off, monolith shows up later. And instantly, I'm in it, right? I'm going, oh, I love this. I love this. <laughs> and so this movie is two and some hours long. And I had my elbows on that railing, and I was buried into that movie, deep. Uh, every aspect of it was connecting to me, right? The religious aspects, you know, uh, the uh, uh, territorial imperative, uh, Audrey's book I'd read recently, and all that stuff. And then, of course, the space stuff. And I am in it, and 
and then it's over. And we get up and we walk out. As we're walking out of the theater, I said, that is, that is the most profound movie I have ever seen. And my date, bless her heart, looks at me and says, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was, that was the only date we had. That, that didn't, we didn't go out again. So, uh, uh, and, and that has never changed. I mean, it is the close, I mean, I'm a, a secular man. Uh, it is the closest thing to a, a religious experience I have ever had. And I can assure you, there are a lot of people, baby boomers, which is, this is a baby boomer movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of baby boomers know that. It affected them profoundly. It had a, a very powerful, I think, influence on people and how they were looking at these issues. Now, keep in mind that it came out in the, in the, in the, the, the peak of the space program. So the moon landing is the next year. So you got that space odyssey and the moon landing. And so I, the, the effect of all that is to just, just, it just forces you to look forward into the future, which, of course, is what science fiction is all about, but in a more realistic, real-time way. It's not science fiction. These, all these things are possible and so forth. And that, you know, when I was working, studying physics and all of that. And then I ended up finally leaving school and it all went to hell. But that movie profoundly affected me. And, and since then, uh, uh, any great sci-fi, uh, I'm going to be there for. And uh, I knew Avatar was going to be a massive blockbuster. I told everybody this way in advance. And it was, it was a profound movie, not as profound as Space Odyssey. Uh, I think I've seen The Fifth Element eight times. It's probably one of the most entertaining sci-fi movies ever made, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a fantastic movie. For those that like the genre, uh, the script, everything about it was, was just really cool. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, two, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind also affected me powerfully. A Contact affected me powerfully. And this was all before I got into the field. I didn't get into the field until ni- late 95. And so I guess you could say that these movies put place something into my psyche very powerful mm-hmm. that without that I don't think I could have made that maneuver in 95 I don't know what the hell I'd be doing now probably nothing I'd like if I'm even still here <laughs> uh, but so I owe this this gift I was given later in life to get involved in the most profound I think event in human history because of films that gave me a worldview and impressed in me something powerful that uh, uh, played into of course what's happening in, in the real world. Um, and uh, recently, uh, uh, one of my, my great pleasures recently was watching, finally, well, actually, yeah, I, I binged it initially and then I, I went away and then I just got back to the new, new season. There's one more season coming. Uh, it is easily the most authentic uh, science fiction representation of a uh, near but not too dear future. I think it's a couple of hundred years, two or three hundred years into the future, which has been done many times, but when you, when th- these attempts usually are filled with, with plot holes and, and, and scientific uh, absurdities. This series 
is the most authentic representation I have ever seen. It's got to be, I think it should be considered one of the greatest sci-fi series of all time. And I am, and can you guess which one I'm referring to? I, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> you haven't got it yet? That's all right. That's okay. The Expanse. Oh, The Expanse. Okay, yeah. The Expanse. Let me tell you, if, if, if you're any listener out there that has not seen The Expanse, if they like sci-fi, they absolutely must watch this series. Uh, it, it is just so detailed and complex and so scientifically on the mark. They just don't screw around uh, with absurdities in order to make things work. They have, they have, whoever's behind it is tremendously knowledgeable about not only our current physics, but also the, the, near, uh, the, 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 the new physics and where it's going, as well as... Uh, the the, uh, the theory and thinking regarding craft and propulsion system and everything else. Yeah. Uh, and then other details. It's just great. I wish it would go on for 20 seasons, but I think it's got one more, yeah. and it's going to wrap. They, I just finished the season five, and I think season six will will come out. They had to they had to sort of cut the budget for season five. You can kind of tell, but still, it was great. I imagine season six will be a huge finale. Yes. So the expanse. So there's another example. Uh, uh, and uh, with the pandemic, uh, I've had a little, way too much time on my hands. <laughs> I, I've completely moved away from network television. It's virtually a complete waste. Yeah. And I'm I'm in the streaming world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all about streaming. And I've got uh, Netflix, Amazon, HBO Max. I just ditched uh, Disney Plus because I just lost patience with The Mandalorian. That that baby Yoda was just getting on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> and that spaceship that the Mandalorian had, it looked like, uh, you know, a beat-up junker Chevy from the 60s. I know. Going, Man, <laughs> come on. You know, please. You know. So I, I ditched that, got rid of that, and uh, but got H, H... And I think I think I got rid of Hulu for now, too. And I've been watching a lot of non-science fiction series. I just watched uh, Olive Kitteridge, which is just an absolute superb series four four part series with uh with francis dorman i haven't watched uh, that. acting yeah uh and yeah so i'm i'm trying to i'm trying to uh up my my uh my level here i'm trying to get who knows maybe i'll be watching shakespeare pretty soon <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's everything's there but i am somebody that has completely embraced the new reality and that is Appointment television is gone. Goodbye, sayonara. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, advertisements. I don't want them. Get, yeah. get rid of them. They're yeah. poison. Uh, and and I'm, I'm getting better with my binging. Initially, when I started having access to the streaming stuff, I had some major binge episodes, which I'm not proud of. Uh, Breaking Bad was uh, really kind of pathetic. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Uh, I forget how many hours in a row I watched it over a period of three days, but wow. it's not healthy, and, and I've, I've gotten better at that, so I ration myself. Huh. It's funny you mentioned The Did Expanse. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, and it's funny you mentioned <laughs> The Expanse, because I'm trying to think, somebody recently who I had on, and I think it was James Duval. I don't know if you know who that actor is, uh, he was in um, the Independence. He's not Day. Robert Duvall's son, is he? No, no. He's not no. Robert Duvall's son. Okay. No, okay. no, but he he was in Independence Day. He was uh, 
Will Smith's daughter's friend that she met. Anyways, um, anyways, he was in the film, and and I think he was the wait one a minute, who the first one or the second one? The, the first the, one, or the, the first one, one, the original. Okay, the first Independence Day was respectable. Independence Day resurgence was an abomination. Yeah, they. I could barely stand it. I I wanted to climb out of the theater. I could not believe it. This was one of those we got to do a sequel, make a couple of bucks, right? And get the, you know, and and science and logic be damned. And so they created this science abomination. So uh, yeah. what can I say? Yeah, with, with uh, remakes and se- remakes and sequels are just you know like I like the original. I love the original. Um, the day the Earth stood still. But the remake, I did not like. <laughs> okay, now I uh, I tell you, I am a sci-fi buff, mm-hmm. so I cut that one some slack. I I I saw I was a light, lot about that movie. I liked. Oh really? Um, yeah. I mean, they clearly modernized the concept. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the original one was kind of hokey, but nevertheless, for the time, it was very good. Yeah. But. Uh, the tech ideas and uh, and uh, the acting and the way things went, I, I I liked it. I had no problem. I've seen it twice. And it's okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a little less idea. Well, it's a lot of people. Though I must admit, a lot of people don't understand the ending of that second. Here stood still, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they miss something very significant about it, uh, and and what they missed was is that at the very end, and we remember the ending, he, he uh, goes back into the spaceship, and the, uh, the particles, the nanoparticles that are destroying everything in their path are gone. What happens is that technology was stopped. Electric power, things like that, yeah. stopped. We were going to have to go back to basics, which meant that billions of people were going to die. But we'd, we'd become possibly a, an agrarian society again, living off the land, being good shepherds of the soil, blah, blah, blah. Right, yeah. So there was going to be massive pain. And it, they didn't make a big deal out of it because I don't think they wanted to have too much of a downer. But if you were paying attention, you realize, oh, yeah, that's the price. Yeah. yeah. Right? That is the price. Now... Something similar, I think, is about to happen in that this whole process of disclosure is not just about us. I believe the ETs are very much connected to disclosure and have been helping it along since 1940s, and that there's a purpose and an agenda here uh, that we're not the Egyptians or the Sumerians or ancient peoples who might have dealt with ETs 8,000 years ago. We're a fully technological global society. And the ET presence is a totally different matter. I believe that uh, disclosure is necessary, but has to be done by us. It's not going to be forced on us. But once disclosure takes place, I think after about two years, of massive global engagement of the phenomena and the history of it, what we know and what the government knows and all that. I mean, we'll be, as a society, pretty pretty knowledgeable, pretty up to speed. I believe that uh, open contact is going to take place. Hmm. Yeah. And open contact, by that, I mean not someone picking you up in the middle of the night for a 
your monthly exam, but uh, formal ex inter interchange between ETs of one type or another and, and governments. And that uh, when that takes place, we're going to finally get some important information about their agenda or agendas. And I believe one of the agendas and one of the reasons that all of this is taking place at all, that they're here at all and doing what they're doing, is because, and they would have known this probably as early as 1900, but certainly by the 1940s, we're very close to interstellar drive. We're, we're about to figure out how to get around relativity. And as you know, we've got nuclear weapons, and we're making them even more powerful. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so essentially, we're on the verge of becoming a nuclear-weaponed interstellar society. And that is not acceptable to extraterrestrials, period. It's not a negotiable. It's unacceptable. There is no way that any extraterrestrial civilization or civilizations working uh, together are going to allow a planet to reach the point that we've reached and bring our weapons into space. Yeah. You'd be nuts to do that. Right. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to intervene. Now, again, the odds of us being alive when this happens are pretty slim, but that's the way it happens. You have to engage that society at a whole new level at that point. Ultimately, they have to, that society needs to know of your existence. You need to get into some sort of formal engagement with them in order to reach an understanding. And what is that understanding? And here is the connection to the day the Earth stood still, which is one of the reasons that that movie is important. Because whether it was intentional or otherwise, these two movies actually tapped in to very much what the hell is going down. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, whether somebody was a contactee and figured it out, doesn't matter. I think what's going to happen in a couple of years after disclosure is that we're going to learn and be informed by our government that the ETs have, have, uh, have discussed uh, with world governments uh, the prospects of being a, a part of their alliance, part of their, their grouping. Uh, they, are, they are in alliance with each other, we know this, in one type or another, and that we could be there too. We're sufficiently advanced to be part of that group, uh, maybe not a senior partner, but a, uh, a new partner. And that's okay, except for one thing. What's that? That's not going to happen unless we get rid of the nukes. We have to completely denuclearize. Uh, we have to de-arm, mm. disarm our weapons, our nuclear weapons, completely. There can be none. And if we don't do that, then, one, we'll never get a starship out of, out of out the planet. All right? it'll, it'll just suddenly disappear or blow up. I mean, it just, it's just not going to happen. We will never get a starship off the planet. Uh, if we want to blow ourselves up in a nuclear war, that's fine, but no starship is leaving. So if we get rid of the nukes, we can have starships, we can have interstellar travel, and we can possibly be involved in them in some way. And possibly uh, we might be able to benefit from some extraterrestrial technology that would be very helpful in our dealing with our our global issues, global problems, and so forth. Uh, clearly not weapons, but maybe biotech, healing tech, whatever. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. In other words, carrot and stick. Mm -hmm. I actually think that's what's going down. Yeah. I can't prove it. It would make a nice sci-fi uh, you know, novel of sort, but it's sort of already been done in a way. Uh, but that's the day the Earth sits still. That's it. Right. But without the painful ending of the second one.
Right. right? Yes. <laughs> no, here, here we are. Uh, no Gort, no Klaatu, Nikto Barata, but rather, here we are. We've been, we've been surveying your nuclear weapons for decades. We've turned them off. We've turned them on. We've let you know that we think they're nonsense. And we have plenty of witnesses to that. Uh, so now we're in open contact. Here's the deal. You can't have them. You can use them on yourself, but you cannot leave the planet with them, which means you're not going to have interstellar travel unless you get rid of them. You get rid of them, then there will be great benefits for you. Yeah. Don't be surprised if that's how this turns out. And we'll know, I have a feeling, within two, two and a half years. Well, that certainly would be interesting to, to, to see that happen. Yeah, that would make for some fine entertainment on our, on our big screen. Yeah, yeah. Well, Listening and watching the news on that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Stephen, I, I thank you so much for for you know taking the time to talk to us about all of this. It's it's been amazing and and uh, it's uh, been a lot of fun. And uh, there's so many other things we could talk about. I'm sure. Jeez, but um, I I do want to remind people to to check out Volcanic UFO Mysteries, which you are in. And check that out on Amazon Prime and I believe on Google Play and probably some other places. And also to be sure to check out your website. And what was that again? Can you give us that uh, website? Yeah. You got to learn how to spell paradigm, particularly now. But paradigmresearchgroup.org. By the way, Darcy Weir, W-I-R, has, a, has an IMDb page. If you go to his IMDb page, you can see the other documentaries that he's done and has in the works. He's got quite a, quite a bit of content there. So by all means, check those out. Yeah. Um, and uh, the last thing I want to leave your audience with is this. Look for more things to pop up, like this CIA document release and mm-hmm. the ONI, UAP task force, things like that, uh, very soon. Uh, and get ready for the very, very good possibility that full-out multiple congressional hearings on the UAP subject primarily with military witnesses, could be uh, underway inside Congress very quickly. And if those hearings actually do get underway, not just a one-day single, I'm talking multiple hearings, a big deal, then disclosure is probably very shortly thereafter that. So watch for that. And when that happens, get excited and make sure that your your big screen TV is working and you've got cable. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. I appreciate it very much. Okay. My pleasure, sir. let's, Let's get together again in a couple months. And a big shout-out going to Stephen Bassett for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. If you get a chance, check out Volcanic UFO Mysteries. Very interesting film. I mean, the things you see on there, you kind of wonder, like, okay, that's not just, you know, dirt <laughs> that's flying by a camera or something uh, it's really interesting so check it out and uh, also you can uh, you know check out uh, Stephen's website at the Paradigm Research Group and get some information and a lot of good stuff there too so like I had told you earlier we are in the process of moving and doing all sorts of things here with On Screen and Beyond moving from one podcast provider to another and uh, you can get us on more now. There's all kinds of places you can get it. We've got people from all over the world that, are, of course, we always did, but we're getting more people coming on from all over the world. All 500 episodes will be coming back, okay? We had to take them down, so they will be coming back. So uh, be patient with that, and, uh, you know, 
just like I say, every couple, every day, basically, I'm trying to put a couple more up all the time. So if you're new, we've got a great backup for you here. We've got, we've got, uh, like I say, over 500 episodes coming your way, and uh, I will be posting this episode on both of the Apple Podcast sites. Okay, but you should stop and unsubscribe from the original one and move to the new one because uh, unfortunately uh, I don't even want to get into it because <laughs> trying to get not Apple but uh, the the providers and everything to, to move everything and get everything set right is just going to be almost impossible so we'll just turn around and move to the new one so that's uh, uh, please you know uh, tell a friend that has has a subscribe to subscribe to the new one and uh, Facebook, I'm working on that to get that fixed too. But uh, it's been been hectic, a lot of things going on. But I've got a lot of uh, scheduled interviews coming your way very shortly. And uh, I hope you're going to join us for those. So that's it. That's a wrap for this week. So until next week, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zumrak. Take care. Uh-huh.